0: So if you have your Bibles electronic devices you can click to turn to with me. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five verses one through ten. Uh, if not, the the verses are going to come up on the screen as as I read them, and so it's good to be back into in person services, and and so we are continuing our study, our our, our journey uh, through through Second Corinthians, and so we find us in a place to where they've been asking Paul some questions. I'll, I'll catch you up with a little bit of the cultural stuff and things that were going on, and Paul begins responding to their their questions, and so. Uh, while, you're, while you're finding your place in, in, in Scripture, let me just tell you a story, and you, you may know his name, Charles Lindbergh. And Charles Lindbergh, the Spirit of St. Louis, in 1927, he was the first man, first person to fly, you know, across the Atlantic from, from, uh, from New York, which actually out of Long Island is where he flew out of, from, from Long Island, New York, he flew all the way to, to Paris, France, he was the first person to do that. And so, I mean, when he did that and when he accomplished that, this man was like a rock star. I mean, the, the, the pressure on them uh, from, from the, the press and from people wanting to get to know them was for them, they would say it was almost paralyzing. Uh, they couldn't step out of their house. And, and so all these other things, and they lived in New York. Well, along this time, all of a sudden, someone broke into their home and kidnapped their infant son out of the crib. They kidnapped their infant son. It became one of the most famous kidnapping stories of the 20th century. It captured all the headlines across the, the nation. Every newspaper was carrying this story. And they, they kidnapped their son, and they held their son for ransom, and eventually they would murder their son, and, and they'd never be caught. Ann Lindbergh, and there are several books written about this, was Charles Lindbergh's wife. And so she begins writing her journey through this. And so someone asked her, what was the only thing that helped you to get through this, to process out your hurt and pain? And she said, well, that's simply this. Uh, it was the mustard seed story that I read. Now, listen, it's not the mustard seed story that you may be thinking of, of in the Bible where Jesus talked about faith is like a mustard seed. It wasn't that story at all. It, the fact is, it was a fable. And the fable went like this. It was just kind of a short fable, but it, the fable went something like this, that there is a woman who lost her, her infant child. She was having trouble with grief and sorrow, so she goes to the wisest man in her village, and she asked this man, how can I process out through my grief? How can I process out through my hurt? And this man said, oh, it's easy. Just do this. Just, just go in the village and go from house to house to house. And when you come to that house and you find that house that has never known hurt, that has never known sorrow, then you take a mustard seed out of that house and you'll be fine. This lady spent the rest of her life going from home to home to home. And she never found a home without sorrow, without grief, without pain, without hurt. And Ann Lindbergh wrote, she says, it was the first time that I realized that sorrow is common to every person. Sorrow is common to every home. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. That, that when you look at the early church and just a little bit about what was going on, because it's been a long time maybe since we've met in person. It's been a long time since we looked at 2 Corinthians with the holidays and some other things. And so maybe you have forgotten, like, the context, but the context of 2 Corinthians is this. I mean, it is, it is diffi- difficult for these new believers. I mean, what's coming into the church there in Corinth is Jews and, 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 and Gentiles. And, and so these Jews and Gentiles, this church that is forming, this church that is growing they they have they have absolutely no influence they have absolutely no influence they have no political power i mean they i mean it's it's roman ruled so there's like no political power no no christian supreme court no Christian president, no Christian anybody in, 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 in power. And not only that, they didn't have any cultural power. They, I mean, they were being persecuted. You know what? They were being persecuted during this time by both Jew and Gentile. And so they, they had no cultural pr- power. They had no political power. They, they didn't even have economic power. But they, they, had this, they had this one power. And they fell deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And they had his power, and they had his strength, but yet they're being persecuted. For every every home that represented, and every home that gathered and worshipped on the weekends, there in the church of Corinth, they all knew somebody, maybe in their home, somebody in their church, a friend, a relative, or whoever that had been persecuted for their faith that had lost their lives. So this issue of death was real to them. And so they asked this question to Paul. They says, well, what happens when we die? I mean, what ha- listen, what happens when we die? And what happened to our loved ones when they die? Because they, they needed to know the answer to this. And, and Paul, Paul responds back in a very theological way. And there's other writings and scriptures as well that we can, we can like look at as well. And he begins to ask answer their question about this issue of, of assurance of where you and I will spend eternity. What happens? And so, so here, here's, here's, what he, here's what he writes. We're going to read these, and I'm going to come back and just walk through this with you. He says for verse t- uh, 1 out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made by hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, but desiring to put on a heavenly dwelling." Since we were were clothed and we we will not be found naked, uh, indeed we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed so that our mortality may not be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God. In other words, God is sovereign. God is in control. Who gave us a spirit as a down payment. So we're always confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we're confident, and we prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that every so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, listen, when we come to this topic, and the topic of this sermon is what happens when I die? This issue of death, this topic of death, can make us all uncomfortable, right? I mean, death is something that we really don't like to talk about a whole lot. I mean, we wouldn't call a friend over and say, hey, would you like, like, you guys want to come over to dinner tonight? Let's just hang out and talk about death. Let's just hang out and talk about death. What happens when we die? I mean, we, we, fact is, psychologists will tell us that the most difficult place for you and I to picture ourselves is like is like like lying in a in a, in a casket. I mean, this topic. Listen, this topic just makes a lot of us uncomfortable to even talk about. But the fact is, when you look at this topic, you realize that this this topic. Holds a lot of people in bondage. See, that's what's happened in the context of this. And some people will live their live their life in just the fear of death. Fact is, fact is, the writer of Hebrews wrote, wrote in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, he says, and free those who were held in slavery um, all of their lives by just the fear of death. The truth is, this issue of fear of death holds a lot of people in bondage. It holds a lot of people in fear. And, and, and this is something that can't be solved like with technology. It can't be solved with a computer program, an app, uh, money, or possessions, or anything like that. And so Paul talks about, and here's the fascinating thing, whenever Paul in the scriptures talked about death, he always talked about life. He talked about it in a different frame of reference a lot of times than we talked about it, and twice he relates this life to, to, to a tent, and that's important. Verse 1, again, he says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Now, listen, if you know anything about me, you know this. I am not a camping guy. That's why God created hotels and Airbnbs. <laughs> right? I am, ju- I am just not a camping guy. But there, there have been a couple of times, especially when we were raised kids, uh, that we were either forced into camping or we were guilted into camping, and we camped. It was probably back in 98, 99, probably one of our most, most famous trips. Uh, we, there was a young couple in our church. They didn't have kids yet. We had kids, Brittany and Amanda, two daughters. And, and so um, uh, Bridget and Jason Braun, uh, they've now moved on, and he's a pastor in another part of the country. So they invited us to camp, and they just kept on. They just wouldn't let it go. So we said, fine, you make the reservations. We planned the weekend, went out, bought a tent, bought some stuff, and said, we're going to do this. And so uh, they made reservations at a campsite. They didn't really research it well. And so they made reservations at a campsite up in Monument. And uh, we got there late. It was dark. We set, it up, set up a campsite, and, and we were amateurs, right? Uh, little did we know, we got the cheap seats in the campsite. And so we were like 25, 50 yards from railroad tracks and there was also an intersection nearby. And so through the night, I mean, every two hours, a, a train's like coming through our tent. And I mean, it felt like that. I mean, you'd feel the ground would like start shaking, and then all of a sudden, you could kind of hear it. And then being near an intersection, it'd blow the horn. It's like, ah. And, and so, and then about the time you doze off again, all of a sudden, you hear it come again. And then about two in the morning, the wind started. And the, t- the tent, it was a cheap tent. The tent is like, you know, rattling, and you couldn't sleep. And And, um, and so there's, there's, so I have some experience, but, but I, I, Paul was a tent maker and Paul understood that a temp, a, a tent, well, a couple of things about it and a couple of things I learned. The first thing is this, a tent is Temporary. In other words, a, temp, a tent is not going to last, and, I, and it's not very safe. It's not very safe from wild animals. It's not very safe from intruders. It's not very safe, I found out, in high winds. And, and if you've, listen, if you've ever spent the night in a tent, you know a storm has the capabilities to, like, collapse it and to, like, destroy it. And, and, and Paul was trying to under, help us understand with this reference to a tent that life, listen, life is temporary and life is uncertain. Life is just uncertain, and, and it, it can be destroyed in, in seconds. And it, it, it's just temporary. But why is it our whole life we're trying to make this tent that is temporary permanent? And we think we can make it term- permanent, and we try to get as comfortable as we can. And we try to get in sh- security all kinds of ways with people and power and prestige and money and friends and insurance and all of these other things. But And, and eating healthy and all. It, 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 I'll leave that one alone. Um, but whatever. But this life is still temporary. The second thing is this: is a tent is not only temporary, but it it's uncomfortable. I mean, when, man, when I stay in a tent and sleeping on the ground, uh, no matter how hard you try, dirt keeps getting tracked in. And then, then as the night wears on, the ground gets harder and harder and harder. I don't know why it is. My sleeping bag is always the one over the rock, right? And it's just like hard to hard to get comfortable. And then, then in the night, you know what I start doing? I start dreaming of home. The comforts of home, the comforts of my bed, you know, or something like that. And it's crazy. Usually, like when everybody's sitting around a, a campfire, this happened to us. We built a campfire, we're doing s'mores, that whole deal. And all of a sudden, Jason Braun looks over at us and says, Guys, this is the life. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm camping, this is the life. And man, why do tents always start, always end up smelling like old socks? I will never understand that. But, but spiritually, Spiritually, the longer we're in this world, what Paul's trying to say, the more uncomfortable we are. And we understand this is not our home. We understand that this is temporary. Paul says in verse 4, Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by this life. And when, when he uses that word, we groan, it's not a definition like we would think of, It's not like despair or agony or something like this. It's like this hopeful longing. It's hopeful longing for our permanent home. Hopeful longing for a place where there's no more pain, there's no more hurt, where things are different. So Paul takes and answers this question for them that it was very deep, what happens when I die? And he just simply gives them information and... and, um, It's kind of like when a surgeon meets with you before a surgery. It is helpful when a surgeon meets with you and says, this is is what's going to happen in surgery. Uh, This is how long it's going to take. This is what your recovery looks like, whether it's PT, whether it's rehab, whether it's whatever. This is how long until you'll be able to play golf again or tennis or whatever. And And so it helps. It helps when we go into something like that with some knowledge of what's going to happen. So Paul gives them six things out of these ten verses. And I just want to walk through them with you and hopefully uh, to give you some confidence in this area. The first thing is this, what Paul says, is there's a departure of the Spirit from the body. There is an immediate departure of the Spirit from the body. And Paul did not, listen, Paul did not write this passage to help us with the the, the how and the when, the what, uh, he only wants to affirm the confidence that at death there's immediate transformation for the believer. It's the immediate presence with God. We'll talk about that later. And whenever, whenever Paul talked about death, he always talked about life. And he, he gives us a blueprint, in other words, for, for the next life. And Paul says that, that one day that this tent is going to be destroyed and our soul. Our spirit is going to depart from this tent, depart from the body. I, I thought of this right after my dad's death. I, had, uh, I did my dad's funeral, and I had gone back home to help my mom with some things around the house. I went out to the garage, and, and on my dad's workbench were his, his leather gloves. And you could still see in the leather glove the imprint of his hand. But it's now limp. It's now empty because what? The body, the spirit, has, has departed, and much like this life. The second thing is this. There's an immediate presence with God. As a believer, I mean Scripture says there's an immediate presence with, with God verse eight. He says, in fact, we're confident and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So at least Paul's honest. Paul's going through some difficulty and he's honest. Philippians, he writes again about this in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, and he says, "For me to live as Christ is to gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I do not know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two, and I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. In other words, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, in Philippians, uh, in the book of Colossians, uh, Jesus talked about it in the Gospels, that that there's this immediate presence for the believer, there's immediate presence with God. In other words, there's no intermediate stage where you go to this stage and, and you get purged of your sins or you pay for your sins. Or someone lights a candle and can pray you out of that place for what the Scripture says, that there is no intermediate place. In fact, there's a theologian, Charles Hodge. He's written on this text. Here's what he says. He says, this is the consoling doctrine here taught. The soul of the believer does not cease to exist at death. It does not sink into a state of unconsciousness. It does not go into purgatory, but being made perfect in holiness, it does immediately pass into glory. So if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, your sins have already been judged. You've already been judged, in other words. Your sins were judged. You were judged on the cross when Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid for your sins, past, present, and future. And as a result of that, immediately what Paul's talking about, what Jesus talked about, what many of the gospel writers talked about, that at death for the believers, there's this immediate presence with God. Verse 1, again, he just, I mean, it's like confidence. There's 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 a couple of words I want to call your attention to. And he says, for we know, and so he, he expresses confidence that if, we, if our earthly tent... Uh, we live in is destroyed. We have. And so that, those two words are theologically so important. And I'll come back to that. He says, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. That word we have is in the present tense. That means the believer is not going to enter into like this homeless state, in between state of destruction of the earthly tent and receiving the building from God. It's like, it's like immediate if the earthly tent refers to the earthly body, then the building from God most likely refers to the opposite, right? A spiritual body. I mean, you see this all over. Jesus prayed. Remember on the cross when Jesus prayed? Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he says, And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, saying this. He, he, he breathed his last. When Stephen, the deacon, the first deacon, was martyred for his faith, he had a similar prayer. Here's what he prayed, Acts chapter 7, verse 56, Look, I see the heavens open up. The Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And then jump down to verse 59. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. We see this again in Luke chapter 16. Remember the rich man who did not know Christ and, and, and Lazarus, who, who, who was a believer? You can read it for yourself. They both die. Lazarus went immediately to Ab- what, it, what the Scripture says, Abraham's Abraham's bosom, that was just an Old Testament way of saying heaven, the presence of God. And so Lazarus went immediately to him. The rich man who did not know God went immediately for his torment and for his destructions. We see this all through Scripture. Here's the third thing about this. This will be followed by a glorified body. I mean, this will be followed by a glorified body. And Paul says here that when Christians die, we we have resurrected bodies, if you will. Verse 3, he says, since... When we are clothed, we will not be found uh, naked. And, and we're, we're not, go- listen, we're not going to spend um, eternity as disembodied spirits floating around on a cloud like strumming a harp or something like that. And God is going to clothe us with new bodies, and He's going to clothe us with glor- glorified bodies. And, and th- that's what He says. We will not be found naked, but clothed, clothed in a, in a glorified body. Body And and verse 4, he says, indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, glorified body, so that mortality may be swallowed up by by life. And Paul, listen, Paul emphasizes all through Scripture that the believer will never be found in like this, bodiless state. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses... uh, 33 through 44, he writes about this again, that, that when we die, our, our spirits go immediate, immediate to, to heaven, immediate to the presence of the Lord. And again, he writes in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one. he said, listen, I'm, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will, will be raised incorruptible. That, that, is, so, that is so important. That means eternity. That means eternal life and will be changed. Number four is this, and don't let this scare you as a believer. But let me just say it. This is the fourth one. Then comes judgment. Now listen, let me, let me unpack that for you so that, so that you understand that. Well, let's read the verse, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema, the Bema seat. We'll talk about that. So that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the judgment of non-Christians and Christians is totally different. The judgment of a non-Christian is judgment for their sins. I mean, we know that from Scripture, that they will be punished uh, and they will be tormented uh, for their sins. But, but because everything that is done in the darkness will be exposed, everything that's done in secret will be exposed, and that, that they will give an account. But the, judge, listen, the judgment for a Christian is totally different. It's not judgment for your sins. You've already been judged for your sins on the cross, and so you've been totally and completely forgiven. And so at the Bema seat, let, let me explain the Bema seat in the context, and we'll come back to this. So the Bema seat, what Paul was writing in their day when they did the Olympics, and after they all, after they all competed, that they would go, all the contestants would go before the Bema seat. Kind of like our award ceremony at the, at the, the Olympics that, that you watch on TV, right? And so they would go before the Bema seat, And the judge, that's where the judge would what? Would reward them, would give them the gold, and the silver, and the bronze medal. Would reward them for how they competed, for how they ran this life. And so that's that's for Christians, that that our sins have been totally and completely washed away. And so we're not going to give an account for those, but we are going to be rewarded for what? Rewarded for what did you do with Jesus? How did you steward this life? How did you steward the time, talent, and resources that he gave you? Did you squander them? Did you waste them? Or did you, did you use them for him? Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Each one's work will become obvious, for the day will close it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved only through the fire. So as a, Christ, as a Christian, our judgment will not be for our sin, but, but how we steward this life. It will, be for, it will be for rewards. And, and so God, in my case, God's going to judge me for my preaching, for my example that I led. If my preaching was the best that I could do with everything that he had given me, if it was within genuine motives and it was not out of ego and any of those other things, then, then I'm going to receive a reward for this. Listen, I think of this often. But if my preaching was haphazard and it was careless and it was just an ego trip and and some of those other things, it was out of wrong motives, then I'm I'm going to lose that reward. But But I myself will be saved. I'm still still in heaven. That's the reason, verse 9, that he said, therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. The the fifth one is this, is there's perfect existence in eternity. There's just perfect existence in eternity. In in John's gospel, uh, Jesus actually said this. He said, "Um, do do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me In my Father's house or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take, myself, take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. There's this perfect existence with Christ, and we need to understand eternal life. And the longer we live as, as Christians, heaven becomes more and more attractional. And Paul says, that's why Paul says we groan. Uh, we're longing to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. Uh, we would per- prefer to be away from the Lord. Uh, but if we're living this life, then we're going we're gonna to be effective. Uh, Paul, in, in case you don't know, the scripture says that he was caught up into the third heaven, that Paul is actually speaking from firsthand experience. Paul saw heaven and in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter to our uh, chapter twelve verse four, uh, Paul makes this statement and says he was lifted up in the third heaven. He saw some things that he was not permitted to tell because of, he just wasn't permitted to tell. And so when Paul talks about this 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 heaven, he talks about this from great confidence because he got a, he got a glimpse. And so words that he used biblical words to describe heaven was like forever uh, tent versus building from God. Uh, perfect that there would be no more sin, sin there'd be no more sorrow you, you know the mustard seed story in this world it's impossible to go house to house and find a house without sorrow, but there is coming a day there is coming a place that you can go room to room, house to house, and there will be no more sorrow there will be no more pain there it, it, it will all God will wipe away every here, some things pass away. But relationships. Relationships are going to be perfect. There's going to be this reunion of believers that have preceded you in, in death. And, and I mean, there's going to, and I, I think about this often, especially like in airports when you see people come back from a low tr- long trip or, or soldiers coming back to Fort Carson and they run that and they, they blow the smoke and there's cheering and there's excitement. It was soon after 9 11, was, I was traveling. I was at uh, DFW, Dallas Fort Worth Airport, which is just a huge international airport and there's this, there's this breezeway, or there's this it's like on the second floor, but there's this walkway uh, that everybody can see. And soldiers were turning from, from battle, and they were dressed in full fatigues, and they were coming across that breezeway. I'm telling you, it, it shut down the entire airport. Everybody stopped, and there was cheering and celebration, and it was moving. It was kind of like, I think, that's what heaven's going to be like. That's what, when we step in and and our loved ones, that's what heaven's going to be like. There's going to be praise. It's going to be different praise. I mean, can you imagine in heaven singing amazing grace and you look over and you look in Jesus face to face? Imagine what that's going to be like. And this is what Paul's talking about. This is the confidence that he gives us. Six and the last thing is this, is we need to be confident in our salvation, we need to be assured of our salvation. And let me tell you something just, just before we read this. You cannot lose your salvation. Scripture says, Simon Peter writes in 1 in, in, in Peter and other places that once you are saved, that your salvation is being kept in heaven for you. It is being guarded for you. And so there is this deep assurance of salvation. And so Paul writes in verse 1, For we know that our earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with human hands. Verse 5, Now the one who prepared for us this very purpose is God, who gives us the Spirit as a down payment. That's that's like huge. And the Spirit is, is like capitalized. That's the Holy Spirit. That once you become a Christian, the minute you pray and receive Him and ask Him to come in your life, He deposits the Holy Spirit in you. What for a down payment? Or you know what? You know I look at it like a confirmation number. Whenever I travel and I make hotel reservations, I get a confirmation number. You know why? So that I am assured that when I get to that place, there is a hotel room waiting for me, not a tent, but a hotel room. I want to know I got a hotel room. I got a confirmation number. You know what? It's we as believers, we have a confirmation number. You know who he is? He's the Holy Spirit. And there's a deposit in you, down payment, the Holy Spirit. Your salvation is being guarded for you in heaven. And that we have a room waiting for us. He says in verse 6 and 7, so we're also confident. And we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. And that's because we may not be able to see heaven physically. And we don't, listen, we don't have a lot of details about heaven. We just don't. About what it looks like and some of those other things. But you know what scripture is really clear on? The way there. He's in a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no, more, no man enters. Except through me, this relationship. And you and I need to be confident in our salvation that we have the Holy Spirit to deposit in us. Paul writes in Romans about who how to do that. If listen, if you have never, if you have never, whether you're in person or watching online, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul said this is how this is how you do it. This is just how you do it. It's in Romans. And, in, in 10 verse 9 and, and he, he just says that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation for the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame Since there is no distinction between Jew and and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone. And I just want you to know in the Greek, you know what that word everyone means? Everyone. Everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Have you come to the place in your life, do you remember that time when you called on the name of the Lord and said, dear Lord Jesus, I just want to accept you for the forgiveness of my sins, the gift of eternal life. I believe that you went to the cross on my behalf. You took all my sin. You lived a perfect life. Ye, you who knew no sin became sin for me. And because of that, because of me accepting you, I have total forgiveness, and I can have confidence if you've never done that. I want to lead you, whether you're in person, online, if you're you're watching online right now, you can click live prayer button if you'd like to talk with someone, you'd like to have someone pray for you. Uh, A prayer partner will meet you in a virtual chat room, and they, they will have a conversation with you. But maybe, maybe you need to do that. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. if you've never done that, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray you would do that today. Just pray a simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me my sins. And I want a relationship with you. And to the very best of my ability, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to develop and mature in you. And Lord, I'm going to have great confidence not only in this life, but in the life to come. Thank you for saving me. For those of you who have done that, maybe you just need to remember the time that you did and say, "Just, Dear Lord Jesus, just thank you that I am yours, that I am your child. Thank you for saving me. And may I have great confidence not only in my relationship with you but i can live this life with freedom knowing knowing what the next life holds for me for we ask these things in jesus name amen if you made a decision of any kind we would love to know about it there's several ways you can do that in person there's a qr uh deal on the seat back in front of you you can like use your phone scan that uh, a connect card's going to come up you can let us know the decision that you've made. Uh, if you have a prayer request, you can do that online. You can do it pretty much the same way. You go up the top of the screen, you click Connect Card, you fill that out. There's a place for a prayer request, any decisions that you've made. And we would love to meet with you. Well, for our benediction, would you please stand with me as we're dismissed with a blessing over you. This comes out of Numbers chapter 6, and here's, here's what the Scripture says. May you receive this today. May you receive this over you as a prayer and give you confidence. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. This week, may you know the peace of Christ. God bless you. You're dismissed.